Welcome to the Delish Guestless Podcast, a deep dive into the lives and work of Hong Kong's crazy food and beverage industry leaders, hosted by The Beat Asia. Today, we invited Rania Hatoum, a Chinese and Egyptian skilled bridal designer and private chef, serving her community with elegant bridal gear and fine dining soirees. She is the founder of Tarte, a Hong Kong-born artisanal tart maker. Rania is also the head chef of RH Fine Dining Private Kitchen in Wanchukang, fusing flavors and technique from French and Japanese cuisine. She joins the Delish guest list to tell her story. What's an attraction to Wanchukang then? Um, I think just the space and the yeah. environment. It's very chill and calm. The south side generally is um, is better for for me, like because yeah. I, I live in in Taihang, which is kind of like Causeway okay, Bay, um, more city like. But you know, moving farther away, it's just more comfortable. Has the bridal studio been based there since 2010? Uh, no, so 2010 is I started in in the U.S. Actually, so mm-hmm. I launched the brand there. Where in the U.S.? Um, in New York. Nice. So my first show was New York Bridal Week. I just finished my full-time job as an assistant designer with a, with a, another designer that launched, you know, bridal collections. So I decided to do my own thing and launch my first collection in 2010. Since then, I've been showing like every twice a year, New York Bridal Week. We went to Miami Bridal Week and also uh, London Bridal Week. Yeah. So just showing, just showcasing my collections around different bridal weeks. It's like fashion week, but for bridal. What's yeah. the difference, the main excitement? Um... It's more elegant. The bridal industry is definitely more elegant, less, less, sure. you know, <laughs> less competitive as like fast fashion. Everyone's generally nicer um, and less crowded for sure. Yeah. Getting into the fashion industry as your first career, did you want to go into bridal design as compared to fast fashion? Yes. So okay. both my parents were actually in the fashion industry. My mom's Chinese. My dad's Egyptian. So my mom actually met my dad in Egypt while she was on a business trip there, um, trying to sell clothing to the Middle East. Oh, wow. So that was, you know, their little um, business that became a bigger business. So my, my mom was in manufacturing, apparel manufacturing. So she had factories. Um, so I was growing up in factories. You mm. know, my summers was I was playing in factories <laughs> with little other factory kids. So, you know, for me, that was, you know, that was kind of my path to go into fashion, like both my parents wanted to. And I enjoy it. I enjoy it. But for me, I don't really support like fast fashion or mm. manufacturing. It's not really a meaningful career for me. Um, so when I went to fashion school um, in Miami, I, you know, learned all the different like fast fashion and ready to wear couture, bridal, like all the aspects of fashion. I think for me, bridal was more of a meaningful kind of industry. I'm creating a dress sure. for for someone's wedding day, right? It's a special special piece of clothing versus, you know, I'm making like 10 t-shirts, different colors, different sizes and, you know, yeah. Is it more intimate to work with a client to understand their needs and their style yeah, as well? Yeah, 100%. So for me in Hong Kong right now, I mostly do custom dresses. Okay. So they come to me, they say, I have this dress in mind, I want to I wanna make it. So I bring that bring their vision to reality, kind of creating. The, so I will work with them choosing the fabric, the silhouettes and fittings. And so the process takes about six to eight months uh, minimum. So Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't expect it to be yeah, that long. Yeah. yeah. It yeah. takes a long time. Um, when, and, when and why did you decide to bring the business from New York to Hong Kong? Um, so I started business in 2010. I moved back to Hong Kong in 2010. 
13, I think. Um, my mom was retiring, so mm. she kind of had like the office space for me. And I kind of just want to be closer to family. So my brother and my mom is here. And so I took over her old office, um, transitioned it into like a bridal showroom and a workshop. So that was actually in Kowloon first. And then a few years later, she sold the space. I was looking for another space. And I found this Wang Chokhang industrial space I really liked. Um, bigger space, too. So it allows me to, like, do more in there. Um, yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, being in Hong Kong for more than half my life, I've never yeah. met people that have switched their careers from the fashion industry to cooking. For yeah. Everything. Or at least that's part of their multi-hyphenated title. I'm sure there's a lot of titles that you carry, but why did you want to do that? Well, I didn't really switch. I'm still doing both currently. So um, I think I've always just enjoyed cooking. It was like, it's a therapeutic thing for me to do. Um, I cooked at a very young age, like 8, 10, even throughout college. Um, I actually did apply to Le Cordon Bleu Culinary School while I was in fashion school back in when I was in Florida. So I got accepted. Paperwork was all done, application processing, and then they told me, oh, you can't pursue two degrees on a student visa, so you have mm. to choose. You can't. So I was already like a year or two into fashion school. I can't really give up that up and then to switch back, you know, or switch to culinary school. And both my parents were like, no, we're not going to pay you to learn how to cook. You're, you know, you should just learn how to cook from your grandma or somebody or just go watch YouTube or something. <laughs> so I was watching a lot of Food Network as well. Um, so Fine. You know, that, that dream was kind of like put on, put in the back. So I just continued pursuing my, my bridal, you know, my bridal dream um, as a bridal designer and really didn't look back into cooking. I still cook and host friends at home just for fun. Mm. Um, but I think really in 2019, 18, I moved to Tokyo with my husband. So he l- lived there for about, we lived there for about two, two, three years. Mm. Um, and I was always fascinated by Japanese cuisine, uh, like the food, the culture. And so while I was there, I wasn't allowed to work because I was on a spouse visa. So then I was just cooking a lot at home. I was just mm. cooking, cooking and hosting his friends. And he would bring his clients over, his bosses. So it became like a mini private kitchen in our house <laughs> in Japan. And it was a great place because I could get all the freshest ingredients. I just go to the market and I could like test these recipes with them, and they really enjoyed it. You know, they come over, they drink wine. So I was hosting like once or twice a week, and then we moved back to Hong Kong, and then COVID hit, and I did the same thing with my friends, right? Mm. So I had my friends over, he had his friends over. Then it became like this constantly hosting friends at home. They would post it on their Instagram. They're like, "Oh wow, who is this chef? Where is this restaurant?" I'm like, "No, it's just my friend." <laughs> and I never dreamed of becoming a chef. Like that was not my thing. I just really enjoy cooking, uh, cooking and hosting for my friends. Mm-hmm. And it's tiring, you know. Like being a chef is not. Oh no it's, doubt. It's, Yeah, it's it's very compared to like designing wedding dresses and cooking. It's totally different, you know. But so then, yeah, my friends of friends asked, oh, can you come over to cook? And I was like, oh, I'm not really just letting them. I'm not really a chef, but sure. Like, then that turned into a whole world of mouth, you mm. know, kind of like a small business where I would do a lot of private dinings and caterings to my friends' houses. By June, I was doing like two to four dinners like a month mm. for other, for you know, at friends of friends' houses. And then by August, I've already had my private kitchen. Mm. So I, was, I started to bring like the the customers over because it was a bigger space, easier for me in my own kitchen. Because every time I go to different houses, I'd have to adjust to their, you know, equipment, their counters, their ovens, the plating, everything is different. Mm. So it was easier to do it at the private kitchen. Um, 
And that was all kind of like from COVID 2019 to now. Wow, we're in 2023. <laughs> wow, that's, yeah, three to four years. Oh, wow. Yeah. What is the emotional and financial investment of starting up a private kitchen in Hong Kong? What was the foresight in terms of like pursuing this, uh, this venture? Um, I think at that time in COVID, it was just people liked a lot of private spaces. Mm -hmm. They wouldn't go to restaurants. They weren't allowed to go. to. So it was just like a private space for me and my friends to do, to do what I do. Um, and then with that, I have my bridal business. So that kind of offsets. I like my day job and then my night job. So on the, in the day, I'd meet clients and brides. And then at <laughs> night, I would, you know, have, have, you know, friends and family over to, to have a nice dinner. Um, and it was a pretty nice venue. People could also book it for their own events and stuff. So, yeah. I think when you see fusion dining in Hong Kong, French and Japanese is that pairing that I think is the most elevated, but mm -hmm. the most popular. Why those two cuisines? A story I skipped was during college. <laughs> I, because I couldn't go to culinary school, I, I have a neighbor, and he's a retired French chef. So he had a restaurant in Champs-Élysées for over 30 years. I bumped into him at the supermarket one day, and we're both, like, buying the same <laughs> type of groceries and, you know, all these gourmet, you know, like, ingredients. I was like, oh. And he didn't really speak English that much, and I didn't really speak French. So I just invited myself over to his place, said, oh, can I just come and watch you cook? Can we do something together? Can you teach me a few things? So everything was in front. I just went to his house every weekend, knock on his door. Hey, what are we cooking today? What are we making? So I would just like jot down in my little notebook every like all the sauces and all like the French technique and bases. So I think I didn't have training. I didn't go to culinary school, but I was lucky enough that he he was willing to share all his knowledge uh, about French cooking to me. And that was a good like a year of just free like free teaching from a French chef, you know? Wow. Yeah. So I got very lucky. So th that's why people ask, oh, why? Why French? Because like, mm. that's my first kind of, like, you know, education in culinary by a French chef that, you know, that just knows a lot. Yeah. How does the pairing operate on each plate and bowl and amuse-bouche? Is it Japanese techniques or French techniques? It's French techniques or? with Japanese okay. ingredients. Okay, great. Yeah. How, do you, how do you learn and innovate on the lessons that he taught you? Um, so after that, I would go and eat a lot. Out. <laughs> I would try a lot, all of the French restaurants, and I think just eating a lot out and trying different chefs' recipes and, you know, their style really inspires me and how I could take that or spin it or, you know, incorporate that to my dishes. Yeah. What type of restaurants in Hong Kong would you feel most inspired by? Um, I think Arbor. Mm. Yeah, Arbor is my top choice. I can see the parallels with yeah. like a lot of caviar use. Yeah, yeah. Good plating as yes. well. Yes, yes. And a lot of omakase, like just, yeah. Mm. In the beginning when you decided to open up RH Fine Dining, mm -hmm. the private kitchen, mm -hmm. what were those signs of success that you wanted to continue this for a while? Um, I was working like pretty much four times a week when, when the private kitchen opened. Wow. So I, it, was, it was very busy at one point. I didn't have a Christmas or mm. two. Actually, I didn't have two Christmases. <laughs> I was just working throughout Christmas and New Year's and, you know, all those, you know, Chinese New Year's. Because yes. people 
during COVID, they really didn't want to risk like going out to eat. They just wanted to have their own friends and family at it. And they still wanted to share a meal together during Christmas or, you know, obviously we we're very careful and we had to get tested. It was quite a weird time, you know, mm. but, but it worked out. And I think, yeah, a lot of people enjoyed just having a, a good dinner with family even during COVID. Yeah. So now that the pandemic is behind mm-hmm. us, what sort of experience are you still giving to people and why would they want to choose your space over, you know, a public restaurant, let's say? Yeah. So I think for for my private kitchen, I just do one booking per night. Mm. So when you book a dinner, you could you just stay oh. until whenever. So you have your own private space. Mm. You can be you're fine dining in a comfortable environment where you could be like drunk and loud and have fun. <laughs> right. So. Um, yeah, but I think since everything's open, the business did slow down a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I have the other, you know, business with the tarts, the caviar tarts and the sweet tarts that kind of is keeping up afloat. So when did you begin tart? 2020, September. I think it was like less than a year after I started because it was a dish on the menu. Mm. It was the first course on the menu. So they would come and, and, and they would eat and they're like, oh, can we just order these to go? Or like, can we just have them delivered? So I, I was like, sure. <laughs> so people kept ordering us. So I had to build a whole brand around it now. And I had the packaging and then wow. how to deliver it. Um, so the whole process of designing the, you know, the brand and packaging also took quite a few months of my time to do it. But then I just really want to launch it properly. Then it expanded into like, other than caviar tarts, we have like savory tarts mm, and mm-hmm. like vegetarian tarts, like tomato burrata tarts or like mushroom foie gras tarts. Wow. And then we went into like premium Japanese fruit tarts. So Japanese strawberries and mangoes. And now we have like a whole range of tarts. I think we have almost 20 flavors that you could order online. Um, yeah. So the idea of creating tart was to have that parallel space that you can enjoy the cooking of Rania anytime, Mm -hmm. any place. Yeah, I think it's like a good thing to, you know, bring to people's houses for dinner parties, right? Or even like order it as the first course of a, you know, a dinner you're hosting at home. Like in Hong Kong, you go out and you buy like a box of cookies or something you bring to someone's house. I don't think there's that luxury, savory Mm -hmm. element pastry that you could just bring. Mm -hmm. So I think that's, you know, with the brand, I think that's what I wanted to create is to be able to bring like a luxury, savory pastry item to someone's house um, as a gift or a celebration or birthday or anniversary or whatever. So, Hey listeners, I'm your editor, Natsuki Arita. I'm coming in to tell you that we are published by TheBeat.Asia, the fastest-growing regional publication for F&B news, event coverage, nightlife happenings, culture, and more. Find us at thebeat.asia to feel the pulse of Hong Kong and Asia. Let's get back to Rania. Do people call you the caviar queen in Hong Kong? No, but they're like, do you eat caviar for breakfast every morning? <laughs> I'm like, no, actually, I don't. I only taste the caviar when I need to quality check it. I don't eat that much caviar, actually. What is so good about caviar and why do you like it? Uh, it's good. Omega-3. It's very good for mm. you. Yeah. Mm. yeah. It also looks, it looks very cute on Instagram as yes, well. Yes, it's, yeah. yes. I think I just like the finer things in life in general, mm. like caviar and truffle and all, all the good stuff. So essentially, these two spaces are for you to enjoy those finer things with other people as well. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the tarts, it's called the finer tarts in life. If you mm. go online, it's that's, yeah. What sort of entertainment and beverage elements come in with the fine dining space in Wanchukang? Is there 
anything different to the dining itself or is it we are presenting these beautiful plates and it's where friends can enjoy themselves? Yeah. So I think they could customize their whole dinner. Mm. Um, they could tell me, oh, it's white truffle season. I want a menu based on white truffles or I want a menu with no caviar. I want more meats. Or, so it's all customizable. Um, you know, the space is... They have the rooftop where they could go and have enjoy their cocktails before they come down for the dinner. And they have a screen. They could like sing karaoke. They could do do a lot of things. So it's more like an intimate space for you. So if you have a birthday celebration, you're just there all night just to enjoy the food and then have a great time after. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you ever or do you ever want to bridge all three of these ventures together? Bridal design tarts and fine dining. Um, it would be hard. Mm. I think I have a lot on my plate currently already <laughs> to start to even think about what else I could do with all that. And, you know, I uh, just recently had the pop-up in Landmark as well mm. for, for a month. And now we're looking to do kind of like a semi-pernament um, space for the tarts as well. That we're still looking. Yeah. How did the pop-up go? How was it received? It was very good. It was mm-hmm. very better than expected. I think the location was great too. Absolutely. And yeah, yeah. And we did a few marketing, but then people who wanted to try it that didn't was like kind of like you know I don't want to order it online, but I want to see it first and then buy it. They would just show up and like, okay try it, and they do like it. They would come back, um, and it's also good for like you know offices like mm-hmm. not just the caviar, but like the sweet the sweet tarts. We have like chocolate tarts or fruit tarts that you could bring to the office for you know someone's birthday or a farewell or something. So with the new location, is that the next phase in the savory tart and sweet tart business? Would you expand the lineup or just... Yeah. So I think the focus right now is just fully on tarts. Okay. Yeah. Um, I still have a lot of recipes I would like Mm. to test and share, different ideas and concepts, a lot of collaborations in the pipeline. So yeah, that that would be my main focus. Uh, And right now the wedding business is kind of slow because everyone's getting married during the summer. So mm-hmm. after September, October, I am sure I'm going to get busy again with all the proposals for Christmas, New Year's, and Valentine's. Wow. Yeah. Do you thrive on being busy and being... Yes. Okay. Yes, I, cannot, <laughs> I cannot sit at home and do nothing. Like, that's not... Even though I'm married, I, like, I can't be a housewife. I uh. mean, maybe someday. But right now, I just I have a lot of energy. Like, I like to wake up, go to a gym, get my work done, you know, like... Busy, busy, schedule, schedule. Like, Are there any aspects of being an F&B that have surprised you or struggles that you needed to, you know, overcome that have brought success? Mm, honestly, I think, I think it, it's been better than the bridal business for really? me. Like a lot smoother. Mm. Maybe I just started in the right time, um, right place, right time kind of thing. Um, so far, I haven't really faced any, like, challenges. Maybe, like, staffing sometimes <laughs> when it's, like, Christmas and it's, like, high season. I couldn't find good staff, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah. Talking about the right place. Yeah. What makes Wan Hang a suitable location for a private kitchen in Hong Kong for this tart making space? Um, well, so the... So we have the licensed kitchen basically mm. in the same building. So that's so industrial buildings is where you know all the FMB people kind of rent a space mm. to to bake their stuff, and then I'll just my studio's upstairs. So I have like separate spaces to do everything. I think just generally the you're still in Hong Kong Island, but you're farther away, but you're still 
yeah, it's just f- still feels more comfortable in that gotcha. area. You know, it's not like an industrial area where you feel kind of like unsafe or like mm. doesn't look. You know what I mean? Like you could go to like Kowloon side where they have a lot of industrial buildings. And I think commute is easier. It's not that far. It's like ten minutes from Causeway Bay or something. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Moving on to our rapid fire questions round, Rania. Okay. You have less than thirty seconds to come up with a few words to answer each question. Okay. If you fail to come up with an answer in five seconds, we'll move on to the next one. Okay. Are you nervous? No. Wait, so I have to answer in a few words. Few words. Okay. okay. Yeah. From your Chinese and Egyptian backgrounds, yeah. what are two dishes from both sides you could eat for the rest of your life? Um, Molokheya is the Egyptian one, and steamed fish for the Chinese one. Tell us about the Egyptian fish. Uh, the, uh, uh, Egyptian so it's, dish. it's um, a grated like spinach-like soup that's very snotty, that's oh. like snot, but it has like a lot of garlic in it. So sometimes we cook it in like chicken or like... Wow. Yeah. So it's like cooked in chicken broth, but it's like a slimy soup basically. But it's so good for you and it's so filling and it's, it puts you to sleep. It's so good. You're making me hungry. <laughs> yeah. Do you have any sources of inspiration that have influenced you both in bridal design and cooking? Um, I think cultures, cultures and travel for me. Nice. Yes. What was the most memorable dining experience you have, ho- have hosted at RH Fine Dining? Wow, I have a lot. <laughs> um, I think a catering I've done for someone's birthday at mm. the house in the peak for almost 60 guests. Wow. Yeah, it was an extravagant That definitely birthday. sounds memorable. Yes. On the peak as well, no yes. doubt. Yes. What fads in food do you think will die out soon? Donuts. Really? <laughs> yeah. Are you anti-donut? Uh, I'm anti, like, <laughs> sweets, <laughs> like, sweet stuff. With unlimited funds and time, what is the career path that you want to head to next if it wasn't food and design? No, no I don't see anything. Really? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Maybe being a mom. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good Which career. is a full-time job, <laughs> yes. <laughs> what flavor was your wedding cake? I didn't have a wedding cake. What did you have? I had a wedding cake for show, but I don't think anyone ate it. Uh, uh, um, did I have desserts? I forgot. I don't. I just had a dessert for the for the final course. I didn't. Really. <laughs> I'm really not a sweets person. That's why I created a savory pastry. <laughs> like I don't eat sweets. Like I'm the like the one girl that I know that don't crave chocolate or sweets or baked items. Like. You're Miss Umami. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I asked this already, but give me another reason why caviar is so good. Um, it's just. Once you bite into it, all this like burst of little like umami flavors in the ocean. I'm so like true. I am I am like a sucker for seafood, right? So yeah. that creaminess it just like lingers <laughs> all over your mouth. I mean, that's that's why I, I like it. That's the best. Yes, yes. What is a fusion of two cuisines that have surprised you? Um, I'm not sure. I know that some cuisines that I like like, but it didn't really surprise me. I think maybe actually. Um, I did a forehands dinner with Chef Estrus for 11 West Side. So we did Mexican, French, Japanese. That was really good. <laughs> that, yeah, that, that menu we created was pretty nice. That just seems so, yeah. so complex <laughs> yes. to, to say. So it's like Mexican, Japanese, French, but not like, but like fine dining. But you're eating like a fancy taco or a tostada. <laughs> what is an overrated luxury ingredient? 
Um, I don't think there are any overrated. I think they're all luxury for a reason, right? Interesting. Yeah. What lazy meal are you cooking for yourself on a Sunday afternoon? Um, just eggs. Fair enough. <laughs> How do you eat your eggs? It depends on my mood. <laughs> some Oscar days scrambled, <laughs> some days poached, you know. And <laughs> depends how lazy I am. If I'm like lazy, I'll just like scrambled egg. If I if I have some time, I poach the egg. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Poaching takes time. Yeah. Boiling as well. Don't get me yes. started. No, Where? I don't like to peel the eggshells, so I would not <laughs> boil the eggs. <laughs> Where is the farthest you've traveled for food? Farthest? I don't. I don't, I, mean, I don't really travel for food. Mm. I travel and then I eat. So I think the farthest would be like, where did I go? Just like Italy, Amalfi Coast. But the food didn't really, yeah. It was okay. Oh. I mean, I don't know. I'm not a big fan of like pasta every day. Fair I, enough. You know, like one or two meals is okay. But if I was, I was there for 10 days and oh I God, was, that's a, that's yeah. That's 10 days of carbs. <laughs> I'm surprised you. I was you. like, I need my Chinese food. Where's the sushi spot? <laughs> what skills are transferable between bridal dress design and cooking? I think precision and the design, plating. Mm. So, like, designing the dress, like, you know, adding my beading or flowers, same thing on my dish. It's, like, the same kind of designing. I'm designing the dish with the plating, with my edible <laughs> flowers, and then my lace flowers on the dresses, right? It's kind of, like, aesthetics for both. For me, yeah. If you could turn any art movement into something edible, what would it be? Um, digital art. Interesting. Yeah, digital art. Yeah. Like while you're eating, something just pops out at you or something. Pixels. I think. Face, I think there, there's a few spots doing that now, though. Mm. Like like the whole table is kind of like a screen, and yeah. How do you constantly motivate yourself to keep doing what you're doing? I think just living like a full life with. A lot of activities to do every day, right? Mm. Meeting people, going out, meeting friends, like just building a bigger network for yourself. So you have something to do every day. Yeah, so you're not bored. Absolutely. (laughs) And finally, what are you cooking up in the coming months that you can share with us on the podcast? Um, I think I did share it earlier about the tart pop-ups. A few collabs to look for with different restaurants. Yeah. I think right now everyone's traveling, but maybe by the end of the summer we'll mm. be able to launch everything. What's your Instagram? So it's rh.findining and at tart.hk. Beautiful. Thank you. Keep your finger on the pulse and tap follow to keep up with the Beat Asia to hear more colorful chats and rich stories. This episode is hosted by Ruben Verabez. A huge shout out to Rania Hatoum for coming on the Delish guest list to share her story. Our producer for this episode is Marcus Tremer, and we are edited by myself, Natsuki Arita. That's all for this episode. See you in the next one.